Hope is a very, very, very important thing. If we don't have hope, we will die. We will just be vessels and instruments that are carrying around despair. We will wake up in the morning and we'll feel like, is there a reason to get up and get out of bed? We'll be serving Jesus and doing good and we'll say to ourselves, does this even matter that I'm doing this? We'll be giving our lives for so many things for people we love, for things we love, for causes we love, for our families, for our friends. But if we don't have hope, we will lose the energy we need to sustain service to others. And the greatest among us, what does Jesus say, needs to be a servant. The greatest among us needs the fuel to keep going. That's why the scriptures are full of saying, don't be weary in doing good. Don't be weary. Because you know what? It's exhausting. It's exhausting to serve Jesus. It's exhausting to hope in that person who makes you feel hopeless. It's exhausting day after day to get up in the grind and keep on digging and keep on going. And the only way we will endure, the only way we will bring glory to God, the only way we have the strength and the grace to move forward is if we have hope. And the enemy's first job against you is to take away all hope. He wants you to look at what's right before you. He wants to look even at your circumstances and say, there's no way out of this. He wants to look at your future and say, you know, the famous saying, I always hear my father-in-law say, I took a left when I should have took a right. And that's why I'm here. He wants you to look back with dread and say, I would have had hope if I did this or if I changed that. But you know what? God is sovereign. He has you here today. There's only grace and there's hope for each one of us. Amen? God has no choice but to work with sinners because that's all there is here on earth. He has no choice but to work with people like us that only by his grace we will endure. And one of the things he wants us all to have is a living everlasting hope every day and a hope in the right things because if we hope in the wrong things you will give up some of us wives if you're hoping in your husband to be perfect you will lose hope real quick i'll go second with the husbands and wives because the wives will come at me if i don't put it second you understand me husbands if you expect your wife's if they're your ultimate hope, like only if they grow this way, only if they do this, only if they act like that, guess what man will do to you every time? And woman, let you down. Because we're not perfect. You can only put your hope in that which is perfect not to let down. And guess what is perfect? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess what will never let us down? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess whose words will stand forever and never be shaken? Our Savior Jesus' words. Never be shaken. In the text we're talking about today, he says, write these words down because they're that true. Write them down. They'll never be shaken. And it's a hope that one day, this broken world, our broken selves, death, disease, trouble, pain, hurt, and weeping will be a thing of the past because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's coming a day when all those things will not be remembered, and they will be things of the past. We need to hear that because we live in tumultuous times. Guess what? Since the fall of Adam, we have always lived as a race in tumultuous times. You know how everyone, um, if you grow up with the, you know, build a bunker in Maine, get your Poland spring waters ready, 
and get your AKA ready crowd in church. You know, all those brothers, like it's happening tomorrow. I looked out on the ocean, get ready, brother. And you're like, man, it's about to go down. Just at home, you know, it's warring. I don't even know why I brought that up, but I just wanted to bring that up. But I'm saying this is because the coming of Jesus, the realization of the new heavens and the new earth, is not something we should be running to a bunker for. It's not something that we should be hiding from or afraid of or should make us less loving. It's something that the scriptures teach us towards the very end of the Bible that we should be crying out and praying for, saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Do you ever just look at this broken world and say, come, Jesus? It's so broken. And if you're a wise man, you'll discipline yourself and not watch too much news. Because you meditate on that too much, you'll just be at home in the bed like, put on Netflix so you've got to stay away from some of that stuff. But we've always been in tumultuous times. It's always been broken. It's always been broken. But one day Jesus is going to ultimately fix it by ushering in the new heavens and new earth. Do you know what? So when we look at the forecast, when we look at the news, you know what's not going to be on that news? Fear of nuclear attack. That's fun, isn't it? How far can it reach? Can it hit Boston? It's all right if it hits the Californians, right? But when it hits Boston, now you're messing with my life. I don't really feel that that's okay. I'm saying some people feel like that. I love California. Southern California is the best place I've ever been on earth. But we need to have hope in these situations. So I want to tell you a story from uh, one of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller. He tells a story of two men who were put in a cave, like this dudgeon. They were locked up in this prison. They both had committed crimes. And so... They had a 10-year term to serve. So those men were put in that cave, in that dungeon. And three years in, one man was told that his wife and his children had died. Do you know what happened to that man? He shriveled up and died in there. He didn't make it the term. He died in that dungeon. He died in that cave because he had no hope. He had no hope. The other man was told, your wife and your children, they're waiting for you. And when you get out of here, you're going to be able to see them and hold them and be with them and love them. You know who made it through the 10 years and got to experience that glory? The man who had hope. That's how important hope is. And as Christians, what we're called to hope in is that one day Jesus will make all things new. See, we're in between the already and the not yet. The already that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, that we are reconciled to God by faith, but the not yet because we don't see Jesus face to face. That one day, do you realize we won't need to believe by faith, but we'll see God, he will be with us? Does that blow your mind? That's an amazing thing. That's the treasure. And that one day, as it teaches in the text we'll read today, that heaven will meet earth, and death and sin, and the power of Satan, and disease, earthquakes, hurricanes, devastations, will be wiped away, every tear wiped away, because Jesus Christ will return and establish that kingdom. So if you turn with me to Revelation 21, 1 through 8. This is what we need to hope in. I want your eyes to see this by faith. Because as a people of faith, you know what we don't live for? We don't live for this life. We don't live for this life. We sacrifice in this life for the next. 
And so if we try to build our kingdoms here on earth, there's no hope because our kingdoms get shattered. We've got to build them in heaven. We've got to live for rewards in heaven. We don't live for what's rusting away. We live for what's eternal. And that's when we can live great as servants for the glory of God. So this is the vision today that I want you to realize for all those in Christ, all those who are conquerors, this is your destiny. Revelation 21, 1 through 8 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Please hear these words. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, which is rebellion is as witchcraft, murderers, I went back on murderers, they're really not getting in, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. <coughs> That's the word of God. Let's let that sit for a moment. Let me give you some basic eschatology, which means the study of end time things. The parousia, if I use big words so you think I know what I'm talking about out there. God made everything in a perfect garden. Everything. He cultivated the earth so humankind could perfectly live in it to be in fellowship with him, man and woman. He made this perfect garden. He set Adam and Eve in there to fellowship with him, to tend the garden, to steward the garden, to know life and know it abundantly. There was no sickness. There was no tears. There were no colds. There was no shoveling. Man chooses, chooses to sin. He chooses to want to be like God not be someone who worships God. And that's a battle we all go through, right? We want to be adored as the greatest. We want to be praised by man. We want our ego to be fed. Naturally, in our flesh, we'd want that. But really, where we find our greatest joy and peace is surrendering to God, bowing down to God, and worshiping Him because that's what we were made for. But man falls into temptation, and he sins. He wants to be like God. He's not content being a worship of God. All of a sudden, the implications of that fall are so tremendous, we're still feeling them today with war and famine and disease and broken families and fatherless children and murdering and lying and all the things we just talked about in that passage. All those things were ushered in in the fall. But God is so loving and merciful that, of course, being just, he could have said, you guys, I'm done with you. But he said, no, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of the serpent and who's going to redeem all things and restore all things. So basically, you see the story of the perfect garden to the perfect city, okay? 
the perfect garden at the beginning of your Bible. You see the fall of man. You see Jesus come. He lives the perfect life that no man can live. He rises from the um, dead to defeat death. He ascends into heaven and says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to make all things new. So we live in this period, uh, yeah, this period, this meta-narrative of the already Jesus has accomplished that there will be a new heavens and new earth, but we have not yet realized it. So our calling as the church right now is to make disciples. That's why the mission of churches make disciples. We're called to give our life, to spread the gospel all throughout our towns, all throughout our cities, all throughout the world until Christ returns. So as many people as possible return with joy and repentance and find God and find freedom and restoration. Because one day Jesus will return. And you always hear this said. He came as a lamb to die on the cross, but he's coming as a lion to judge the living and the dead. That every man and woman from every generation will stand before God and give account for their works, their lives. That's what the scriptures teach. It says after Jesus judges the living and the dead, that he will usher in this new heavens and new earth. So it's not like God's going to take earth and throw it out. Man, that didn't work. No, he says he's going to judge it. He's going to purge it. He's going to clean it. He's going to wash it. He's going to restore it. And he's going to make all things perfectly new. He's going to make all things new. Nothing will be ripped out of the hands of God. He created this earth to be new. He created this earth for people to live and be in it and be in relationship with him. And he's going to create a new city. Everyone sees on the news this week about Jerusalem, right? And there's a battle over Jerusalem. Jerusalem is God's. And he will establish his new heavens and new earth in that city. In that city will actually be the capital, the perfect city of God. And so what I want you guys to hear today, I want you to hear that one day we will experience the perfect city with God. I want to talk about the people who won't be there because that matters in a household in a city, the people who aren't allowed in. And I want to talk about the people who will be there. And so what's the main feature of the city of God? Why is it so amazing? amazing? What's the most amazing feature of the city? That God will be there. That God will be there. That finally we won't have to see through the eyes of faith. He will dwell among his people. He will walk with his people. He will love his people. You want to make it more intimate? He will embrace his people. He will laugh with his people. And he will sing over his people. One day, God will be there. No more veil. You want to talk with God? You want to walk with God? You want to know God? You want to converse with God? He will be in the city. All of our hopes, all of our desires will finally fully be met. Few features of the city also. There's no need for the great lights, for the sun and the moon, because God will give light 
to the whole city. Just try to capture that. What's your favorite city? Mine's Boston. It's local. What's your favorite city? Imagine that city being filled with the light of God. It says it's as a bride adorned for a husband. You know who enjoys the city so much? Who enjoys the bride's wedding dress in her beauty and her unmatched makeup? It's got to be on point that day. You don't mess with the makeup on wedding day. You understand me? Who enjoys the wedding day so much? Who enjoys the bride and she's adorned and she's beautiful? The bridegroom, the husband. The husband enjoys that. Now, man, a little life lesson. You're allowed to cry. Don't stop weeping on the altar. That takes your man caught. It throws it out the window. Don't get caught on YouTube and you're just weeping and people, all these women are sending it to each other. That's not the scripture. That's my personal conviction. You're allowed to shed a tear in a masculine way, wipe it off, look at bridegroom, and move on. But it's the bridegroom, it's the husband that looks at the beauty of the bride and says, wow, I'm so blessed. She's so beautiful. I'm so thankful. Life is good. I don't want us to miss the point of this city, that in this city, the church is described as the bride of Christ. That Jesus will look at this city and look at this people and he's going to be filled with such divine joy because the gospel has finally found and found and been realized and brought to full fruition where the old things have passed away. Like imagine being in a city where no one's getting mugged. Imagine being in a city where no one's getting shot. Imagine being in a city where there's no disease and no hospital. Imagine being in a major city where there's no hospital. Imagine being in a major city where there's no shelter for the homeless. Imagine being in a city where there's no center where people need to go who have been abused. Imagine being in a city where these things have passed away. Imagine being in a city where you don't have to see people weeping over death. One of the hardest things, you ever driving in your car and seeing someone on the other side of the road or you see someone on the side of the road and you see that they're weeping and you realize something horrible must have happened to them? And you said, someone just died in their life. Someone just died. Or they just got a horrible uh, report at the hospital. Or their wife just told them that she's leaving him. Like, you see those things. There's going to be none of those things in the city. In this city. No more violence. Comes that when I hear reports about a place like Chicago, and I hear people are getting shot all the time, and I say, Wow, the reports of cities like this. There will be no more in the kingdom of God. Our cities all around the world where women are getting raped. And you say to yourself, how can that be happening in this city? There will be no more in the city of God. Or how about the homeless on the street? How about a city where no more people have no home? Can you believe that happens in our cities? That we go to bed each night, many of us in our own bed, in our own warm bed. But there are people who are actually living on the streets. That has no place in this city. Those things will be a thing of the past. You know, in my home when I was growing up, drug abuse 
violence and abandonment were part of the culture of my home. And you know what? I hated it. I hated that I was in a place where these things were present. I hated that I was in a place where these things brought destruction. But sometimes now in my family, I just have my moments where I say, those things are a thing of the past. Those are former things. There's no drug abuse in my home by the grace of God. There's no violence in my home by the grace of God. There's no abandonment or fear of abandonment in my home. Those things are things of the past. Those are former things. And you know why they are former things? Because there's a good father in the home now. There's a good father in the home now. And when there's a good father in the city, when there's a good father in the home, when there's a good father in the family, things that devastated and brought brokenness and destruction become things of the past and no more. Now my kids don't know those things I knew. They don't know those things because those are things of the past. And the reason I tell you that story is because in the city of God, God the Father will be there. And all those things like tears and disease and pain and hurt and brokenness and death and disease, they will be things of the past because God the Father is there in that city. Is that amazing? Some of you are dealing with chronic sickness and you're not going to be dealing with it. Some of you were so abused when you were younger that pain torments you to the core that you can't even talk about it sometimes. It gives you anxiety attacks. It causes depression. It makes you weep in the car when no one's around. You were so abused. Those scars will be no more. Those memories will be no more. Those pains will be no more because there's a good daddy in this city who is wiping away every tear from the city. Is that good hope? Is that good hope right there? I almost said it three times, I was so amped up. Now you can't talk about good cities, you can't talk about good families, you can't talk about good places without talking about the people that won't be there. You can't do it. I understand in universalism, with all of us, we fight that sentimentality. If someone believes in something, they're ushered into the city of God. Even if they don't believe in God. We have a sentimentality, and the truth is we have finite minds and hearts that it's hard for us to comprehend someone really being punished for their sin in a divine way. But in order to have a perfect city, you can't have inhabitants of that city who still practice lawlessness. So if you're trying to work through your theology of who gets into heaven and what that looks like, ask yourself in everyday practical ways, If you want a peaceful home, do you let burglars in? No. If you want to protect your kids from sexual abuse, do you let unrepentant sex offenders into your home? No. If you want no murder in the city, you don't bring unrepentant murderers in there. If you want an honest system in there, you don't bring people in who are comfortable with lying. You just don't do it. And that's why the scripture, so a lot of people preach this passage and there's a temptation, at least for me as a minister, to preach the first seven verses and keep the eighth off because it's a a lot more hopeful, right? City, it's coming down, no more tears. Forget the part about everyone who's left out. We gotta pack the seats, kid. I'm telling you, 
Most of the messages I lived on, it was verse 1 through 7. I said, that's sneaky. Real sneaky. You drop off that last verse, you got out of that one. But in order to have a perfect city, you must talk about the people who are detestable, who don't make it into the city. I remember a woman who used to go to this church. She told me a story of growing up in a home where her uncle was a drunkard. He was never sober. He always drank. He drank outside the home, which brought on... um, Devastation in his life, so he lost his home. He couldn't keep a job. He was just someone who was um, a practicing alcoholic. They let him in without him changing his practice. They said, you can stay in the basement, come into the house. But what happened was, they let him in the house. Guess what happens when you let someone in the house who is unrepentant and still practices their way of drunkenness? Guess what you're not going to have? A peaceful home. So all throughout her childhood growing up, There was never peace in this family because the uncle was practicing lawlessness. The uncle was never sober. The uncle was always drunk. She said, the parents are always fighting. They never what to do. The dad wouldn't stand up and say, you can't do this. Get out of the home. And so much of her childhood, they didn't enjoy what the Bible calls shalom or peace because they let someone into the home who practiced lawlessness. So when you read this thing about the perfect city, it tells us certain people who will not make it into that city. And I want to read them to you. It says the cowardly. Those who are cowards, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little later on the third point, will not be in the perfect city of God. The faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, people hear that, they think Harry Potter. But it's actually rebellion. It says rebellion as witchcraft. When you rebel against God, when you rebel against who he's made you, it says it's like, Witchcraft in the Bible. Idolaters and liars have no place. Now, if you're a Christian and you're following Jesus, part of you should feel a sense of justice. How many people would feel comfortable in the world where God never punished someone who practiced murdering? How many people want to bow down before a God who never brings justice? How about these evil dictators that kill thousands and hundreds of thousands of people? Would you feel comfortable if God just said, okay, I was just giving it a run through. He can get away with that. How about people who are abusing people and stealing from people? We don't want people to get away with that, right? Because God is perfect and holy, therefore he has to be just. And so in order for there to be a perfect city, he has to bring justice upon those who do evil, and he has to keep them outside of the home, outside of this perfect city, okay? Now, when I read that list, know what happens to sinners like us? I'm not getting in. I knew it. They've been telling me about grace all this time. I'm not getting in. Here I am wasting my Sunday morning. I had a shovel early, all right? But a loving and gracious God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts text in like that that make the gospel so much more beautiful because underserving sinners like us will enter the city of God. Now, there's a difference between someone's unrepentant and saying, I'm going to live in rebellion against God. And someone who the Holy Spirit is working within our hearts and drawing us to holiness, and we're falling, getting up, leaning on His grace, growing. What man in here has not lied? What woman has not lied? What man or woman in here has not committed sexual immorality? What person here has not even stolen in sneaky ways? 
We are all sinners and don't deserve this city. What this passage is talking about is those who live in habitual rebellion and don't want to come under the lordship of Jesus. Because I'm telling you something, if the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart and has done something in your heart, he won't leave you the same. And your sin makes you very uncomfortable. Right? Everyone knows when you, before you got saved, and you can ask your heart these questions, this is a good way to see if the Holy Spirit resides in you. Before I really feel like God changed my heart, I was comfortable sinning. I rejoice in sinning. I'd be like, you know what I did? Woo! It's talking about. I don't know where that last thing came from. Jesus changed my heart. My life started getting uncomfortable. The things I used to turn to, I started saying, that's wrong. I'm so uncomfortable. That call to meet the person at two in the morning that you know you shouldn't be with and be immoral with, all of a sudden, that's getting real uncomfortable. The next morning, you're just condemned just looking for a pastor to preach grace to you. Right? All of a sudden, that sneaky way I'd steal money, oh, man, this don't feel right. This doesn't feel right. The Holy Spirit starts to change you. You know the beautiful good news? If he's doing that in you, you're his child. And no one will ever rip you out of his hands. You're going to look back maybe even tomorrow at today and say, the Lord is changing me. The Lord is changing me. He's making me new. Because you know who this city is for? It's for conquerors. And this is where I want to get in the context of the passage. This letter was written by the Apostle John to people who were under the, some of the biggest persecution ever in the history of Christianity. It was the second wave. Nero, the emperor Nero, had brought persecution like you, you've never seen. I mean, just throwing people to animals, putting, putting them in the fight with gladiators, running them with razors, crucifying them, burning them. If you were a Christian, you had to be brave, because if you were a coward, you would renounce your religion. There's no chance that the first thing that says people who won't enter the perfect city of God says cowards won't get there because the Christians were among the bravest. They would have to stand before the greatest authorities on earth facing death or facing imprisonment and they either bowed down to the emperor or they would face suffering. You got to make some life decisions when that happens and you have to be brave. This was under the emperor Domitian. Domitian was absolutely one of the craziest emperors ever in the history of the Roman Empire. He would take a pen, catch flies, and run pens through flies. Strange. He declared himself a deity, and he started being referred to as thou art holy, the only magnificent. People had to refer to him in divine ways. And he brought persecution. He would boil Christians in hot oil, and he would crucify some of them. And it was written the law, if a Christian does not worship me, then he shall be punished. And so he's writing, Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the Christian church that day, and he's saying, stand. It doesn't look like there's a city coming. It doesn't look like I'm making all things new. It doesn't look like this is going to be worth it. <laughs> but if you are not a coward, if you are not faithless, then you will receive this city made for you. And you know what? 
When you're about to be crucified, well, what do you believe? A boiled in hot oil. You need to see a city not made by the hands of man, but made by the hands of God, where conquerors will exist and receive the reward of God. Amen? Because it's the only thing that will make you stand. Some of you will only sacrifice in this life if you realize the reward on the next. The secular mindset says live for now, get material things, live for your own glory, do what feels good, accumulate, and maximize yourself. That's why there's all this, this narcissistic talk that people tell you to tell yourself to enjoy life. But the truth is you will never be more joyful then you learn to be brave in Christ and surrender everything to Christ and find hope in only that and give up this, this life. That's why Jesus said the word, words, he who desires to save his life will lose it. And his who saves, him who saves his life will lose his life. Because Apostle Paul was writing, John was writing to this people and say, don't back down. It's going to be worth it. He had to say, the Roman Empire, which was practicing all those detestable things we talked about, they're going to pay for what they've done. They're not going to be part of the city. Could you imagine the theology that is found in a universalism that the same people that were killing the Christians, you told them they're going to inhabit the same city of hope as you? They're saying, no, those people won't be there. Only conquerors will be there. All those who stand in Christ. And some of you need to hear that today because life is pretty miserable. Do you know when you're following Jesus, when you're sacrificing, when you're living for others, life can get so boring sometimes because you have to be disciplined. And when you're disciplined, life is boring. Take it from me. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I got to go through those routines, live holy, love people. And then you see people living it up and you're like, those dirt dogs. I could be out there on that mountain. It's tough. But you have to understand that what we sacrifice on this earth, when we overcome as conquerors, that we receive rewards in the city of God. And know what I'm really going to love? You know, so the main thing that God's there, I'm going to love that all you guys are there. I'm going to love that. You know my favorite part of the men's retreat? It wasn't the beautiful lake. It wasn't the hike. Those things are all nice and added to it. It wasn't the meals. They killed the meals. They were wonderful. It was the people who were there. It was the laughter. It was beating Danny and ping pong. I had to do it. I, I still work sanctified. See, Cliffy, I see how you are. It was those things that brought the joy. It was the people I was with. Do you realize in the city of God that your great-great-grandfather who follow Jesus, that you'll see him there and you'll embrace him? Do you realize that some of your favorite biblical heroes, I don't know who they are, Trevor blew my mind on the men's retreat. He taught, we were asking, what are your favorite people in the Bible? He said, Goliath? I'm still working through that. I don't even know what that means. I've never heard that in the history. We were talking about Bible heroes. He was like, Goliath? It's like he went down with one stone, bro. I don't even, I can't, I'm still processing but walking in that city will be all the saints who were saved by God's grace. You know, some of our children need to hear that when we pass on. They need to hear that, you know what? Daddy's going to a better place. And one day we'll all be brought together. 
know what? Mom is going to a better place. Some of us have lost loved ones that you'll see again because of the work of Jesus. Because this city will be filled with conquerors. And finally, they'll have their city. The city we all long for because the Holy Spirit has put something inside all of us that we long for this perfect city where the old things are passed away and the new has come. And the greatest occupant of the city will be Jesus Christ, the one who conquered all. Walking through the city, no one is his rival. No one is his rival. There's no talk about anyone in comparison to Jesus. He's the ultimate. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He ushered in this new kingdom. He ushered in this new city. And now we get to sit there, bow there, live there, exist there, and worship Jesus forever. Amen? So that's the hope I want you to have today. Because let me tell you, life is short. We are just dust. But God breathed life into this dust. And by his grace, he's called us into the city, into this kingdom. And I want you to have hope in that today. Let's pray.